Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 18. Uh, was anybody out driving in the storm at all yesterday? A few of you? Did you get caught in pretty bad traffic? Every now and then you, you come through some parts where it's just everything stopped. Up here uh, by the Shoreline Free Methodist Church, there's like a tree down in the road. And uh, last time we had, well, maybe it wasn't the last time, but one of the last times we had a big uh, windstorm like this, I was out driving. We were doing some grocery shopping because we needed to buy a few things. Um, and the power's out. And uh, sure enough, some of the were going to grocery stores and their power's out too. So certain things weren't available. And so uh, Sam and I were together and we were driving. We drove down to Lake Forest Park um, to the Albertsons that was down there. And I think now it's a Hagen or whatever. But we're, so we're driving down there and uh, the power's out there too. We should have called ahead, but uh, we didn't think of that. Uh, so sure enough, we couldn't get the things that we needed. So we're just on our way back home. And we're up here uh, driving um, on on Perkins um, that, you know, that that windy road up here. And yeah, so so we're on that and all of a sudden crash and a tree branch falls on top of the car and like it doesn't do a whole lot of damage. But it's one of those things that you don't see it coming, right, because it's coming from up above you. And all of a sudden there's this huge noise and thing on your windshield and you duck, even though that doesn't do you any good. Right. So, you know, and and you're on this windy road. So you like hit the brakes and you hope no one's behind you. Um, and so we get hit by a tree branch and, uh, we got it fixed. And, but so yesterday, uh, the wind is blowing and we're having people over for dinner and we need to go do a little bit of shopping. And so Sam and I go out shopping. Uh, and, and every time I'm going under a tree, which there are lots of them around here, uh, I, I'm nervous, right? Like I, I feel like this is going to, and you see like these little tiny branches falling and then I see this huge tree in the road and I'm thinking, okay, this is like, how do I get home without going under any trees? And of course there's no possible way to do it. There's, there's always danger. Fortunately we didn't get hit. Uh, but it's, but it's this, this moment of this past experience for me, uh, has led me to be, uh, overly cautious, maybe not overly cautious, just cautious, uh, because I've had this, I've had this bad experience where I had a tree fall on my car, not a tree, but a tree branch fall on my car. Um, and, and this is what we're talking about today. Um, Paul, as we, as we've been looking through his second missionary journey, he's been beaten up quite a bit. Um, he, uh, has had more than the equivalent of a tree branch falling on his car. Like he's been thrown in prison and beaten up and run out of town after town after town. And I think this is true, an true experience for our lives sometimes too, that we oftentimes when we feel like we are beaten up, when we're betrayed, uh, we feel like we have put our trust in a certain relationship. Uh, this is especially true for, for Seattle sports fans a lot of times, right? <laughs> we feel betrayed, right? This was the year the Mariners were supposed to win the World Series. Well, uh, I mean, I was actually talking to somebody a couple years ago, the first time we made it back to the Super Bowl, 
And almost everybody I talked to without fail said, I just, I don't even want to hope that, like, there's two weeks in between the time we make it to the Super Bowl and the actual game, and nobody wants to talk, like, they're excited, but nobody wants to, because we as Seattle sports fans know that what happens is we get, if, even if we get that far, we're going to lose. Like, something's going to happen. Um, but, of course, 43 to 8, it was, uh, it was over before it started. So, um, but we have these experiences in, in our lives, with, in our relationships, like in, in real life situations. And, and sometimes what happens is we take a look at Paul and we read these stories in, uh, in the book of Acts. And we see his life. And, and if you're like me at all, sometimes you, you get the sense that Paul isn't really a, a real person. Right? He's this two-dimensional character and he's moving from town to town. And sure, he has conflict. And sure, it's difficult for him, but like, you know, he's, he's got God with him and he, and he just, he just keeps pressing on and there's no moments of doubt for him. He's just confident in what he's doing. Um, but what we, what we, we'll see today in, in our passage is that this isn't true for Paul. Um, and sometimes we look at the lives of one another and we see that they just like, yeah, you know, maybe they have struggles, but they just seem to be rolling through it like no problem. Um, and yet we realize when we look at our own lives that this is not true, right? That when hard times come, it's hard. And sometimes we get beaten up uh, and it hurts. And, it, and it's not something that we just move on from. And sometimes we get beaten up and we, and we feel like we're not sure we want to drive that road again. We're not sure we want to trust in these relationships. We don't want to let ourselves become vulnerable here again. And so uh, as we look at the story of Paul, I want us to have these thoughts in the back of our mind as we see what happens here with Paul. So just as a recap, um, if Kurt Cliff, if you can put the map up. Um, so Paul has been making his way. Uh, we really began our series here with Paul here in Philippi. Um, from Philippi, remember in Philippi he was thrown into prison. Uh, in Thessalonica, he was there for a few weeks, and then they ran him out of town. Uh, last week, we looked uh, at, he was in Berea, um, and he, things were going well for him, but then the people from Thessalonica caught wind that Paul was in Berea, and they came and ran him out of town again. Uh, from there, Paul made his way down to Athens, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about Athens today, um, but... Uh, it's, it's interesting, just very briefly, what happens in Athens is, is Paul comes along and, and he sees there's not a Jewish community there, there's not a synagogue, um, and, and Athens is this place that we're told people like to just gather around and talk about ideas, and he's walking through the streets of Athens, this really, this uh, center of wisdom and knowledge in, in the ancient world, and, and uh, they're seeing all these idols and gods, and he, and he begins to preach, and he begins to talk in the marketplace. And some people are interested in what he has to say, some people are not. They take him to this place called the Areopagus, uh, which is uh, Greek for, for Mars Hill, which is where a lot of, like, uh, Kevin Krause's coffee shop and a lot of churches got that name from, from that place in Athens. And, and, he, and he presents the gospel, and it's really interesting the way that Paul presents the gospel there, because he doesn't cite any Old Testament scriptures. Uh, he's citing uh, philosophers and poets, and he does this because there's not a Jewish community there. So he, 
if he could quote scripture to them and they wouldn't know, wouldn't really care what that meant, but he quotes the things that they've accepted. Um, and it's interesting, a lot of times we uh, look at that model as an example for how do we minister to a, a community that doesn't have any background in scripture. Um, and it's a great model, but, but uh, Paul is not very successful in that model. Um, if you look at the end of Acts chapter 17, uh, verse 32, we're told, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. So we have a handful of people that that become Christians uh, through Paul's ministry here in Athens. But it's, it's pretty slim pickings. And so Paul has been coming from, uh, from town to town proclaiming the gospel, and, and he's been getting beat up. And the, and the one town that he's not really beat up in, uh, the people just sort of sneer at him, and, and then uh, a few of them believe, but most of them uh, don't want to have anything to do with it. They think he's kind of crazy. And so from there he moves to Corinth. Um, we put the map back up here. Sorry, Cliff. Threw you off there. Oh, there we go. Um, so Corinth, um, right? Just just a little bit of a jaunt over here from Athens is is Corinth right there. And uh, Corinth is Corinth is an interesting city for for Paul to be doing his ministry and um, for a number of reasons. It's uh, it's a very cosmopolitan city, uh, major center for commerce. And if you can tell, you can't really tell on this map, um, but you see there's this, there's this chunk of land here, and then there's this chunk of land here, and Corinth is actually right in the middle of it um, on what's called an isthmus. Can you say isthmus? Yeah, that's good. It's a hard word to say, but you probably remember it from like fourth grade geography classes, right? Isthmus. Who, who remembers what an isthmus is? It's 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 uh it's not a peninsula which is which has water on three sides is an isthmus has water just on two sides so it's just like a strip it's like a sandbar or something like a strip of land and at its at its narrowest point Corinth uh the isthmus on Corinth is 3.5 miles wide so it's just this this connecting point a uh, major sea route a uh, trade route the boat ships would come through here, um, kind of like the Panama Canal, like this is the trade route. They, w- they eventually dug a canal through here. Before that, what they would do is they would bring their ships in, and then they would carry things across the three and a half miles and then load them on other ships on the other side. Um, and so this is the city that Paul is in. He's in Corinth. Um, it's, it's a, a major, it's, it's the largest city in, in Greece at the time. Um, it's a it's a major landmark, a major point, um, and it's also um, I'll teach you one more word here. Uh, well, maybe you already knew isthmus, but I'm going to teach you a word. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to butcher this, but we're going to do our best. Corinthia zestai. Say that together. Corinthia zestai. Good. Corinthia zestai means to live like a Corinthian. And this was a saying, this was a phrase that was used in the Roman world uh, to, to, to describe to somebody who was living a particularly immoral life. They were living like a Corinthian. Uh, we might uh, compare this today to, to somebody who's, uh, I don't know, like Las Vegas, right? This idea of 
if if you can think of a place where where sin is happening and immorality is happening, um, it would have been Corinth, and they even had a word for it. So sometimes we think, oh man, our society is going downhill. Well, we don't have a word for us yet, at least. Um, but to live like a Corinthian was uh, to live immorally. And so this is the place that Paul has come now, and he's been beat up. Remember, he's been uh, he's been frustrated. He's been run out of town. He's been thrown in prison. Um, and, and so he comes to Corinth and he's there, uh, he's there by himself at this point. Um, if you remember from when he was in Thessalonica and Berea, uh, they, as they ran him out of town, the people who were with him stayed behind to try to continue the work, but he needed to leave. And so he is really alone. He was in Athens alone and now he's coming to Corinth alone. And so he's alone, uh, and, and he's beaten up. Acts chapter 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, Claudius, uh, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So we're beginning to see uh, as, as Paul comes to town, he's by himself, and because he's by himself, uh, he's supporting himself. One of the things that, that uh, these other guys, Timothy and Silas, did is they, they worked so that Paul could be doing the work of, of the ministry. And so they were working together as a team, but they weren't there. So Paul was out uh, making tents, and he was, he was, this was his business, and, and so he could make money on, with this, and he was out making tents. And then they come, and he gets, gets to the serious work of uh, preaching regularly in the synagogue and, and trying to explain to people that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ. And he's doing this, and sure enough, uh, verse 6, they, they opposed Paul. They became abusive. Paul, again, is experiencing the same thing he experienced in Berea, the same thing he experienced in Thessalonica, um, similar to what he experienced in Philippi. There's, he, he's getting ready to get run out of town and he's frustrated right like you would be at this point um, and so he shakes his clothes out um, in protest and this is similar to what jesus tells his disciples to do as they're going from town to town preaching he says if there's any town that won't accept you uh, sh- shake the dust off your feet and and say your blood is on your own heads i i did my best for you you don't want to hear it i'm moving on to the next town but Paul doesn't leave town. He just goes across the street. Uh, Paul, Verse 7, Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. Uh, most likely this man was, was a Greek, um, not, not Jewish. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. 
So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. So Paul comes and and he's getting ready. He's starting to experience the same thing. Uh, And yet the Lord comes to him and says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to keep preaching in this city. Uh, the, The Greek here could really be this idea of stop being afraid. This idea that Paul... If, if the Lord has to come to Paul and tell him, do not be afraid, what's the implication? He's afraid, right? Um, and and every, every right to be afraid. Because he's experienced things on this journey already that would cause him to be fearful. And cause him to say, hey, I'm seeing this same conflict like... Uh, I've been here for a little while. It's probably time for me to start packing up and moving on to the next city. Because if I stay much longer, things are not going to go well for me. And not only not go well for Paul, but not go well for the people that he's been ministering to. If you remember back in Thessalonica, it's not Paul that gets dragged in, um, but it's uh, it's the the Christians in Thessalonica who are then getting dragged before the courts and and getting beaten up as well. And so Paul uh, is rightly afraid. And sure enough, verse 12, when Gallio, the proconsul of Achaia, uh, the Jew, uh, while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern whatever. So sure enough, they do mountain attack on Paul. They drag him before the courts. Uh, but here in Corinth, this guy doesn't want to have anything to do with the Jews and their problems. And so he says, this has something to do with your law. I don't want to hear it. Um, and then the, they turn on this synagogue leader, Sosthenes, and beat him up. Um, it's interesting, if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, this Sosthenes, who at the time was, was most likely still in the synagogue, hadn't become a Christian yet. First uh, Corinthians chapter one, verse one, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth. And so at some point along this line, after this beating that Sosthenes has received, uh, he becomes a Christian and now he's traveling with Paul. But all this to say, uh, even when the Lord comes to Paul and says, hey, don't be afraid. I'm with you. Thing, it's not as though all of a sudden things start going well for Paul. Um, he still is being dragged before the courts. And, and I think this is really true for us as we, as we look and we think about what it means to be a Christian today. That oftentimes there's an expectation, and sometimes we talk about the gospel in a way that once you get Jesus in your life, things are going to go better for you. And that, and that for, we, we even tell non-Christians that, that Jesus is the answer and he's going to help solve your problems and you just need Jesus in your life. And that's true to some extent, but he's not going to solve all your problems. 
And if you look at the life of Paul and Peter and most of the people in the New Testament, Jesus actually makes things a lot worse. He makes it a lot harder for our lives. And yet God says to Paul, do not be afraid. Stop being afraid, for I am with you. Um, if you stay in 1 Corinthians, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians for a while. And I want us to take a look at some of these things that Paul uh, speaks to this church that, that he came to in fear. And he says even here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And Paul says again and again, uh, I came in here, uh, he, w- he was afraid. I said, I came with weakness and fear and trembling. And this is a comforting thing for me as I read the story of Paul. Because I think oftentimes... Uh, if I take a look at, at my own life, I could describe it with weakness and fear and trembling. Uh, we were having a conversation last night um, with, with Madeline Lowen and, and Alex. And we were talking about, um, uh, about parenting. And I was, I was reflecting on, as I look at, the, at now that I am a parent... And I look at other parents. I look at parents that were uh, like my friends growing up. I look at their parents. And I look at, at my parents. And I look at other parents around me. Uh, none of us know what we're doing. <laughs> Is, would you agree with this, the parents in the room? Uh, and sometimes some, some people, some parents, some, just some people in general, do a pretty good job of making it look like they know what they're doing. Uh, but we're all just making it up as we go along. You know, and you can read books about it, and you can learn, you know, but but those books are only helpful to, because when you're in the real-life situation of a three-year-old throwing a temper tantrum, like, you have to make split-second decisions in the restaurant, you know, like, do we do we drag him out? Do we, you know, what do, what do we do, right? Um, and And this is... This is true not just for parenting. This is true for our lives, isn't it? None of us really know what we're doing. I mean, we can, we can put a good show on, but like we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know the, the conflicts and the difficulties and the struggles and the heartache that's going to come around the corner. And we're not always ready for it. And we don't know what to do. And so we come... Uh, into our lives and we move through our lives in weakness with fear and trembling because because we don't know what's coming next. And we might be driving that road and a tree branch might fall on us. Or it might not. But there's a little bit of fear and trembling every time we get out the door. And Paul says, uh, I came to you with weakness and fear and trembling. The author Brennan Manning um, 
says this about Christians. He says, there are some real problems with projecting the perfect image, which we often try to do. He says, first of all, it's, not, it's simply not true. We are not always happy, optimistic, in command. Second, projecting the flawless image keeps us from reaching people who feel we just wouldn't understand them. And third, even if we could live a life with no conflict, suffering, or mistakes, it would be a shallow existence. The Christian with depth is the person who has failed and who has learned to live with his or her failure. And oftentimes in the church, uh, we take a look. I mean, this is not just true for the church. This is true for, for our world. We, we present an image that we have things together, and we don't. And we take a look at the people around us, and they are also presenting an image that they have things together, and they don't. There are even the, even the most perfect person that we can imagine has weaknesses and struggles and days of doubts. We all do. And the church is a place where those of us who ha- are weak can come and admit that, yes, we are weak. Because, as we'll see in just a second here, it's that in our weakness that Christ is strong. And this is what the cross is all about. That we can't do it, right? That we can't make our way towards God. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Paul again describes uh, his ministry and he says, We have this treasure, verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. He says that we have the treasure of God's working in our lives in fragile jars of clay. Because we are showing that this power is not our power, but it's God's power. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And there are some times in our lives that we, we have the first part of those phrases down, but we don't necessarily know that we can say the second part of those phrases. We can say uh, we're hard-pressed and we're persecuted and we're struck down, but it's hard sometimes to say that we're not destroyed, we're not abandoned. Um, and I want you to know, uh, sometimes we, we believe that that. Well, God is up in heaven, and so the way to get to God is up. But actually, the way to God is down. That it's in our humility. It's, it's at the moments in our lives when we recognize that we can't do it. That we see that Christ is there saying, it's okay, I've already done it for you. We can't achieve to God. We can't reach high enough to please him. It's only in finding the sacrifice of Christ on the cross where he says, you don't have to do it. I've paid for it already. What I've done, it's finished. It's enough. We don't work our way up to him. But in our humility, not in our greatness. When we let everything go and in our emptiness, he fills us with life. And if you're here today and you're, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, and you've been trying to earn God's favor, or you've just been trying to earn favor with the people around you, uh, know that it's, it's not enough. 
You'll never get there. But Christ will get you there. And the way of the cross that we have in our in our sanctuaries and that we that we come and we and we worship in front of the cross every week the way of the cross is the way downwards to humility to find a savior who lifts us up uh, when we are at our weakest Paul says I came in weakness with fear and trembling turn again uh, stay in 2 Corinthians to chapter 11 one more example of of paul the um, the three dimensional character here uh, who when we think about these things and, and it 's like it's just a, a list of things that happened to him but but imagine if this was your life, and over months and years these things were happening to you chapter eleven verse twenty three he says, "Are they servants of christ i 'm out of my mind to talk like this I am more I have worked much harder." Been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in danger from my own people, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak, and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. How many of us could say that last sentence? That the things that we are most proud of, the things that we want most displayed to our world, are the things that, make us, that show us to be the most weak? Of course not. We hide those things as far away from anyone as possible. And yet Paul says, here in my weakness, these are the things that I boast about. And he says later in, in chapter 12, um, verse 8, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take, uh, uh, take it away from me, this, this thorn in his flesh that he had. But he, said to, but he said to me, the Lord said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is why, for Christ's sake, I I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And the story of the gospel and the story of of Paul, uh, as as he moves into the city of Corinth, and he begins to proclaim once again is a man uh, who has been severely. I mean, we read this list, and maybe not all of this had happened by the time he came to Corinth. But uh, as you read the book of Acts, he's constantly being stoned and, and beaten up and whipped and thrown into prison. 
And you would think that by the time he gets to Corinth, he's just ready to throw in the towel. And, and it seems like, from, from what we see in Acts, that he is. And sometimes this is true in our lives, right? That we get to this place where we've been so beaten and so betrayed and so much hardship or, or so, so many bad things have happened to us that we feel like we can't trust other people, we can't trust God. We pray for things and it seems like he doesn't answer And yet, God comes to Paul and he says, stop being afraid. Don't be afraid. Keep on preaching. Keep on doing the work that I have called you to do. And the message for us today, um, for me and for you who, who oftentimes feel weak, and beaten up. Just don't be afraid. This is the message of Scripture again and again. When people, when God comes to people, and He meets them in their fear, He says, "Hey, don't be afraid. I'm with you." Throughout the Old Testament, uh, don't be afraid. I'm with you. Throughout the New Testament, don't be afraid. I'm with you. For us today, God is with us. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Um, You take a look at Paul's life, and it definitely was not easy. Uh, But the Lord is with us. And he says, and so he says, he wraps this up in, I feel like this this passage here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, We see both sides of this ministry for Paul. We see both ends of, of this fear that he has experienced. And so, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he's commending himself to the Corinthians, saying, we're, we're, we're continuing on in this work. And he says, we put, verse 3, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path, so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, in prisons. Again, we have this list. In beatings, imprisonments, and, and riots. In hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. In purity, understanding, patience, and kindness. In the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love. In truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. Through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report. Genuine, yet regarded as impostors. Known yet regarded as unknown, dying, and yet we live on, beaten, and yet not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, yet possessing everything. And the the experience of Paul is not one where he says, oh, hey, you know, that those beatings, they weren't really a big deal, like... You know, it kind of hurt, but whatever. Uh, it was it was hard for him, and he experienced the pain of those of those lashes and those beatings and the stonings and the imprisonments. He experienced the difficulty of each of those things in city after city after city after city, and yet he can also say, in the midst of his endurance, that the Holy Spirit is with him, giving him purity and understanding and patience. And kindness, allowing him to continue to love sincerely. 
that in his right and hands, left hands, he's not carrying the weapons of destruction and hatred towards those who have wronged him, but instead he's carrying the weapons of righteousness. That even when he's regarded as an imposter and unknown, he's living genuine, faithful life. And that we, when we are beaten up, we don't carry in our hands the weapons of destruction for those who have wronged us. But we are meant to carry still the weapons of righteousness, of right living, of faithful living, proclaiming a God who loved those who beat him up as well. That when people around us call us imposters, refuse to know us, that we are still known and that we continue to still live a faithful, genuine life in trust of our Father. So that even in the midst of our death, we have confidence in a resurrection that we live on. That even in the midst of our sorrow, somehow we can rejoice that God is doing a work in and through us through our faithfulness. That even though perhaps we have lost everything and we are poor, we are still able to give and give and give generously of the love that God has given us and the time that God has given us. That we still have something to give even if it seems to the world that we have nothing. Because we have Christ in us, we still have more to give to those around us. And even when we have nothing, we possess everything. Because the only thing that matters is Christ and what he's done on the cross. And we have it all, even when we have nothing. Because, uh, again, the way of the cross proclaims, it shouts, that the way to life is not upwards, but it's downwards. It's in surrender, it's in our humility, it's in our weaknesses that Christ says, okay, now that you're not trying to do it on your own, let's get started. Now that you are here in your weakness, uh, I can give you strength. So again, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 9 and 10, When I am weak, then I am strong. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. That's all you need. You don't need any of those other things. And yes, you may be beaten up and it may be hard, but I'm with you. So don't be afraid. Continue to live faithfully for me. Don't give in to the way that the world is wanting you to suck back in to the hatred that is being thrown your way. Don't give in and say it's not worth, it's not worth it anymore because it is. Because in our weakness, God is strong. Let's pray. God, as we, uh, as we come before you this morning, uh, and uh, you know more than anyone uh, the ways in which we are weak, and the ways in which we are fearful. And we just ask that this week, uh, in the midst of that weakness and fear and trembling, uh, may we hear your voice this week reminding us, uh, do not be afraid. I am with you. 
And as we hear that voice, may we continue to live faithfully in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our dying, finding life in you. We pray this in your name. Amen. I think sometimes the common perception in our lives is that when things are not going well, uh, that's when God is farthest from us. But the reminder that we have this week uh, is that oftentimes when things are going the worst for us, that's when God is closest to us and he is with you. And so as you go out this week, may you know the God who proclaims to you, don't be afraid, I am with you. And may you experience his presence and may you continue to live faithfully for him Uh, in the midst of the storms. Go in peace.